the Cell Phone Junkie Podcast, episode 379 for September 8th, 2013. Microsoft buys Nokia, Samsung announces the Note 3, and break me off a piece of that KitKat. My name is Mickey Papillon. And I'm Joey Kappas. Brought to you each week by the Cell Phone Junkie podcast application, available now for Android, the iOS, and Windows Phone 8 for $1.99. An incredibly busy week this week for news. Let's jump right in. Kicking things off on Monday, a holiday here in the U.S., Microsoft announced that it had purchased Finnish phone maker Nokia for $7.2 billion. Specifically, the purchase includes Nokia's devices and services divisions, along with the license to its patents and mapping software. Under the agreement, Microsoft will acquire more than half of Nokia's 56,000 employees and much of Lumia's soft uh, smartphone and Asha feature phone businesses. In a joint statement from outgoing Microsoft CEO Steve Ballmer and Nokia CEO Steve Stephen Elop, the executive stated, the agreement will accelerate the momentum of Nokia's devices and services, bringing the world's most innovative smartphones to more people while continuing to connect to the next billion people with Nokia's mobile phone portfolio. Microsoft said it will continue to license out its Windows Phone OS to other manufacturers, they say, uh, at least those willing to pay for it. Now, Nokia will still be its own entity with its own patent portfolio. However, Microsoft will be granted a 10-year license to those patents. The purchase is expected to close in the first quarter of 2014, which will net Nokia around $7.2 billion, subject to, of course, shareholder and regulatory approval. So what does this mean for the Nokia brand name? One of the most storied markets in mobile, of course. Uh, The terms of the agreement have Asha and Lumia transferring over to Redmond-based Microsoft, but Nokia uh, will remain property of the Finnish company, which could also be used for smartphones or feature phones, I suppose, in the future under this 10-year licensing agreement. That means, though, that any future Windows phones built by the newest division of Microsoft will be Microsoft branded. Well, it's not like this is any surprise to anybody, right? Because we kind of thought this was going to happen back when they first announced this deal. But I suppose this takes time. And, you know, here in the the States, Nokia really wasn't a strong brand. I mean, I remember it mostly from your very first Sprint phone, Mickey. And that's kind of those weird candy bar style phones that were not very good, really. Yeah, they weren't, but they were really durable. And as time went on, I mean, there were it, it just seemed like that was the, the you know the late '90s. That was the, the the smartphone or the cell phone to have, not a smartphone, of course. Um, but they had you know they had just this immense market share internationally, and it it just didn't break into the U.S. Uh, or if it did, it, it kind of fizzled out over time as you know the likes of Blackberries and and the Palms came about, and, and really Samsung took over the feature phone market too. And uh, so it was it was interesting to see that, but. Um, um, you know, it, I'm, I'm really questioning here what this is going to mean for Windows Phone, if this is going to be a good thing for them, um, or if it'll be a detriment based on just kind of a, a single stream of hardware and software here and, and really not having anyone else, you know, care, I'll just say, about making Microsoft Windows Phone enabled phones anymore. I mean, there's there's when you have a, a your own division, I think, you know, many of the manufacturers uh, may have felt this way unless you were a Samsung or a, you know uh, an LG. Why are we bothering to make Android phones anymore? Uh, but I think the answer to that one was pretty clear in, in that Google said they were going to be running things completely separately when they purchased Motorola. This is very different. This is a hey, you know Nokia was really all in with these products. We believed in them because they believed in us, so we're going to buy them now. 
And uh, so this is what we're gonna this is what we're gonna do. And uh, so look for you know, like I said, Microsoft based uh, Windows Phone device devices now, which is a very interesting thing. We we don't see that Microsoft doesn't make hardware except for the Xbox, right? So uh, kind of interesting stuff here. Will be uh, will be fun to watch. And Microsoft does have some other hardware keyboards, mice. I've used their mice and keyboard actually for many, many years, and they've got some other little stuff. But it's not, uh, you know, I, I think for consumers it'll make more sense to have a Windows phone that's made by Microsoft because that's kind of the branding that they go hand in hand. Well, and I, yeah, and, and that's not to say that it, they don't make any any hardware because obviously they have, uh, you know, the, the devices you make. But what I'm talking about is, um, you know, that we have we don't really have any computers that they make. It's always just been licensing of the Windows, the Windows phone. But, you know, they've got the tablets now, too. Right. So you can you can buy, uh, you know, any of their the, the surface the surface. Yep. That's yeah. and that's probably what they're trying to, to kind of connect the dots where you've got, you know, kind of the, the, the RT sort of surface and they have the full version as well. But, you know, connect Microsoft hardware the operating system to actually you know windows you know windows mobile windows this kind of uh, operating system that they're they're tying to and you know someday maybe they'll will have pcs but uh you know we'll just have to wait and see yeah so big news uh kicked off the week here with a bang you know obviously seeing this here uh it happened uh early in the morning uh in europe which was actually i think a, it was sunday night here or maybe very very late on sunday night early monday morning so anyway it was just it was a very random uh thing that happened and but you know ultimately uh not surprising but uh maybe the timing a little bit shocking just uh, kind of came out of nowhere here and uh there you go well next up apple on tuesday sent out invites for a media event scheduled you guessed it this coming tuesday september 10th 10 a.m pacific time in cupertino california the invite features colorful bubbles affirming expectations that apple will launch two new models of the iphone the uh, traditional iphone 5s and then the iphone 5c as indicated by the numerous case leaks over the last few months the iPhone 5C is expected to be offered in a variety of colors. At the event, Apple is also likely to reveal the final features of iOS 7, including when the operating system will be released to the public. It is expected that Apple will release a gold master version of the redesigned OS for developers on the same day. Apple also sent out invitations to the Chinese media for a separate event in China on the next day. This fuels uh, speculation that Apple will announce a long-awaited deal with China Mobile, the world's largest operator by subscribers. The event will be held in Beijing's World Trade Center, 10 a.m. local time on September 11th, according to the invite, which looks the same as the one sent to U.S. media. Now, not to be overshadowed by Apple, Google on Tuesday kicked off its post-holiday week with an announcement of its latest Android OS, naming it not Key Lime Pie, but Android KitKat. Head of Android, Chrome, and Apps, Sunday Pichai, uh, announced the uh, uh, the new OS with a photo that he posted of a KitKat bar Android statue joining the rest of the desserts on the lawn at Google in Mountain View. No word on when the new version will be released, though KitKat uh, is giving away Nexus 7 tablets and Google Play credits inside of KitKat bar packaging that is now on sale. The numerical sequence of the new version will be the same as the lineage that you had with ice cream sandwich and jelly bean. It is now Android. 4.4. And while it's great to get confirmation of the internal name, the backstory is equally as interesting. Apparently, the executives from the two companies met face-to-face at a secret event held at Mobile World Congress back in February in Barcelona to finalize the details. To promote the alliance, Nestle now plans to deliver more than 50 million chocolate bars featuring the Android mascot in shops in 19 different markets. That includes not only here in the U.S. and also in the U.K., but Brazil, India, Japan, and even Russia. The packaging had been produced in 
significant advance over the last two months, but despite the scale of that operation, both firms managed to keep the story a secret. Keeping it confidential was paramount to the strategy, uh, and uh, they actually looked at this whole thing as a very specific, interesting way of getting out this name. So uh, the Android team took very, very detailed steps to preserve the element of surprise, only notifying a very small team about the decision. They actually kept calling the name of the OS Key Lime Pie internally and even referred to it uh, as it, as it with that with their partners. So they said if the K release is by way of a secret, then people have racked their minds trying to figure out what it was going to be. So most Google employees didn't know about this even until the day that it was announced when they unveiled that new statue at the campus in Mountain View. Very uh, fascinating story to hear about that. You know, obviously the element of surprise is nearly dead with these tech announcements here. You know, we're going to come up and talk about the Note 3 in just a minute. We pretty much knew almost everything there was to know about that. Apple's got their announcement this week. We know pretty much everything that's happening there. And uh, this just kind of came at us like, wow, look at this. We've got a uh, we've got a uh, not only a new a new OS and a new name for it that we didn't know, but it's actually a brand name. And this is the first uh, one of these that we've had where it's actually a brand name of a dessert. It's not just a generic thing like key lime pie. Yeah, it's a tie, you know, it's a corporate tie and I guess that's kind of uh, kind of fun, you know, to have uh, some promotion going on with Nestle Kit Kat bars or is it Hershey's here in the US maybe? I don't or did Nestle buy it? I think it's Nestle's here too. Yeah, yeah, whatever, whatever it may be. It's uh you know, it's kind of fun. It, it, I mean, it, it's not really going to mean much for, you know, corporate uh, you know, corporate America. I mean, Google's a big huge company. I mean, they can deal, do a deal with uh, with a candy company. It's yeah, it's kind of fun, but it's uh one thing I found was interesting. It's not 5.0. It's not going to be a major uh, change to the operating system. We're going to have to wait, uh, you know, I don't know how many more months for that, maybe until mid next summer or maybe even next December for uh, the big change. And I think the interesting thing about that is that I don't really know that there's a reason to. If you look at what's under the hood with Android 4.x or basically anything that's on, uh, uh, what is it, ice cream sandwich or higher, um, you know, they've done a pretty good job. And now with Jelly Bean and Project Butter, things are, are running very, very smoothly. And to uh, to Google's uh, kind of you know, view of everything right now. It's really more about trying to get out the specific applications that they want. And and I think this is where Android may be going is that they're trying to build a very strong operating system underneath, but not, and they're going to be doing major upgrades all the time, but they need to realize that the major stuff that people are doing on their devices has to do with the applications and the applications shouldn't be tied to that OS. So you should have to, you shouldn't have to wait until the next version of Android comes out to get a brand new Google Maps. So let's unbundle that and actually offer it in the Google Play Store so you can download it. And that makes a lot more sense, especially with all of the other software that's included on these devices. Unless you're buying a Nexus device, you're getting some other third-party you know, skins and, and we'll call it bloatware that's being put on these devices. Some of it is very useful, like the stuff that Samsung puts on their Note devices. Some of it maybe not as much, and you may not you know, really appreciate it as much. But the point is, it takes a long time to go from a, uh, an, an, a phone that's already being shipped with an operating system that has been tweaked and refined by a manufacturer to get that updated and have them redo everything just to get a point release. And so um, I think that's why that we didn't see it at this point. Well, it's the same, you know, what you're describing there, same thing that's happening like with the CyanogenMod, like my uh, touchpad tablet. I was able to get the Android device manager pushed out to me silently in the background, and now I've got Find My Touchpad uh, available to me. And there was no operating system update involved. There was nothing uh, that I had to do on my end to get this to work. And of course, you know, I can get the updated Gmail app. I can do all these other things through the app, through the Play Store uh, to do, to, to bring my tablet up to kind of a modern version of the OS, even though right now I do, I, I upgrade 
converted to the uh, the 4.2 uh, CyanogenGen 10.1, I think it is. But it's uh, you know you're you're spot on there that the Android's kind of architecture is changing to to kind of make this a little bit more transparent for all the users to reduce that uh, that obviousness of fragmentation. Unlike the iPhone, where if you want a new version of Safari, you need a new version of the operating system. Those apps are baked into the OS. Unlike uh, Android. Let's talk about users for a minute, because along with this KitKat announcement, uh, Pichai also revealed that over 1 billion Android devices have now been activated to date. That means that at least 1.5 million Android activations are occurring every single day. It is just staggering how many new devices are coming online here. So uh, very, very big news there, hitting that billion mark for Android devices here. Uh, just just staggering to think about that, that you know, a seventh of the whole world is using Android, um, or at least there's one device for a seventh of the world, I guess, because multiple people have multiple devices. Anyway, so, uh, but, you know, with this here and all of this talk about, you know, the Nexus and the bloatware and the, the this and the that, let's talk about a new Nexus, because we know one is definitely coming at some point, and a leak this week from the KitKat video that was published by Google may have given us a little bit of what we should expect with this. There was a, a very, very short frame in uh, the video where it showed someone using uh, a device that said Nexus on the back that looked very similar to what the new Nexus 7 looks like, except it definitely wasn't a Nexus 7 based on the, the size. It also had a very large circle on the back for what is going to be uh, where the camera is. And uh, all of that tied in with an FCC uh, filing is kind of giving us some more information about what we could be looking at here. So it looks like an LG device. So the LG-D820 is the model number that's on the device that was submitted to the FCC. It's got Pentaban HSPA Plus in it as far as uh, that's concerned. So you can get up to 42 megabits per second on HSPA. It does have seven bands of LTE, which would be 2, 4, 5, 17, 25, 26, and 41. And also EVDO Rev A, that's CDMA, on 800 and 1900 megahertz. So this is all sounding very interesting so far for pretty much everybody on every carrier out there until let's take a look at what these are. The HSPA Plus bands are basically the same ones that we found in the Nexus 4 and will support any GSM network around the world. So you've got that. The LTE bands will fall in line with those used by AT&T, T-Mobile, and no, not Verizon, but Sprint. Also, the EVDO Rev A frequencies will be uh, that are they're talking about being used are the ones that are being used by Sprint. Note that there is no Verizon supported frequencies listed in here. So keep that in mind if you're waiting for this, that you may be waiting a long time uh, for another Nexus device that you can use on Verizon because it doesn't look like this is going to be the one. However, other things include uh, Bluetooth 4.0, dual band 802.11 BGNNAC Wi-Fi uh, for one of the first times in a phone. Uh, this is a device that I'm guessing we're going to probably be seeing uh, some more information leaked out about it as we go through time here. But very, uh, very fascinating here to see that we've got a new Nexus that's going to be out here probably I would imagine before the end of the year this is filed back in August it just took a while for anyone to figure out what the heck it was and uh, once they saw what the the pictures of this one were kind of everyone started looking back in and then saw oh yeah this is what it is this is that LG device Yep, and it makes sense, you know, two years with the LG, so LG, you know, the Nexus 4, and now this one uh, upcoming will be the the next Nexus, and, you know, we're due for that, and it'll probably be released around the same time as the operating system, just like the last one was, so it's, uh, you know, it's good to get an upgrade out, and of course, the Nexus is very important, because, uh, you know, a lot of Android users specifically, you know, seek out the Nexus to be first in line for the operating system updates, and to have that plain Jane, you know, uh, Android experience that, uh, you know, I prefer myself 
yourself. And I, I know you kind of uh, lean that way as well. Yeah, I do. And uh, it's very interesting to just to, to, to see this kind of stuff and how it all ties together, because up until this week, we didn't even really know what what this device was. And, you know, a number of people had seen it, but had, hadn't really maybe there's a little speculation on that it was a new Nexus, but pretty much confirmed that this was what it was going to be. And of course, the you know this device is fairly important because right now, you know, even with the price drop uh, of the Nexus Four, it this is basically the cheapest smartphone you can get on con- uh, out of contract, and it's uh, seriously uh, tempting to go this route instead of going you know on contract and and paying full price for an iPhone. It's uh, it's shaking up the market. I mean, what they when they dropped the price of the Galaxy Nexus to that three hundred fifty bucks, that was uh, uh, is probably as big a deal as when the uh, original iPhone dropped down uh, when the 3g came out from the price of the original where there was still 600 500 dollars on contract down to 200 so i'm looking at the next nexus as is a very pivotal point for google because certainly they with the nexus 4 they, they had a very cheap smartphone that was essentially accessible to just about anybody if you're willing to buy a smartphone and you were willing to spend 300 bucks you could get a nexus and not have a contract with it um you know they dropped that price 100 bucks last week the 8 gigabyte model no longer available only 16s are out there now so i think um that one may be around for a little while longer here and just until they sell out of it and then i think it's done and then i think Uh, We're going to see what they come in with this next one here. It looks like it's going to probably have some pretty decent specs, of course, as you'd imagine, something that's more upgraded than what you have today. And uh, so can they keep that price point? Can they keep it down at the $300 to $350 mark, or is it going to have to go a little bit higher just because of what the costs are for for the product? I don't think they can go up now. You know, it's one of those things. Once you've set that that bar, you can't kind of raise the price unless they raise it up about ten bucks. Uh, because uh, people then just start turning elsewhere and start going back to on contract prices. And I think this kind of also ties in. You know, maybe not directly, but it kind of ties into the T-Mobile strategy as well. That this is how T-Mobile is going to kind of uh, you know this plays into T-Mobile strategy of basically charging full price for phones and then you have to, uh, you know, use the, um, the, the financing plan. We talk a lot about it on here, yet neither one of us actually, you know, goes along with this where you buy the phone outright and then go with the, you know, service without a contract. But, um, you know, certainly I, I do understand it makes a lot of sense for people. Um, and, uh, you know, right now it's it's really hard to do if you want to use Apple hardware because it's so expensive and it just, you know, you're you're almost willing to, to pay the extra amount every month so that you don't have to pay six hundred, seven hundred, eight hundred dollars uh, up front to get the device. I mean, it's now a, that is now a painful amount. I mean, Apple has kind of spoiled us with the the on contract prices because back before the iPhone came out, I mean, a, a regular uh, Windows mobile phone was four hundred bucks on contract, and it was just, that's that was like the cheap price, and some of them were five hundred bucks. And it's not uh, it, it's it, it's you know the, the the market is different now. Yeah, so it's uh, it's very interesting though that uh, that this leaked out the way that it did. I I I'm not uh, I'm not thinking that it was an accident. I I don't think that they necessarily even cared because there was it was such a, a, a interesting blip and it got some interest in it and got people talking about it. So what the heck do they care? So anyway, interesting stuff there, uh, and uh, it was really neat to see that this week as well with that announcement. Now let's move on to some other news here, and then we'll get back into some device stuff. First off, Comscore this week releasing its latest quarterly market share numbers for the U.S., showing iOS on the rise. The only OS to do so for the period, Apple rose 1.2 points from 39.2% in April to 40.4% in June. In comparison, Android fell 0.2 percentage points with even larger decreases experienced then by BlackBerry, which dropped from 5.1% to 4.3%, and Windows Phone's 
Windows Phone's share remaining constant at 3%. Looking at manufacturer market share statistics, Samsung grew the most with an increase of 2.1% across uh, the three-month period. Besides Apple, Samsung was the only manufacturer to increase their share of U.S. subscribers. All of their manufacturers saw their share decrease with HTC and Motorola dropping 0.9 and 1.4 percentage points respectively. As a decrease with HTC, or as a as a result, yeah, Samsung and Apple combined were now responsible for 65% of all smartphone subscriber devices. And despite Samsung's outgrowing Apple in the manufacturer share for the quarter, Apple remains the number one manufacturer for uh, the U.S. market, like we mentioned, 40.4%. Well, according to a report last Sunday in the German News Weekly, Der Spiegel, the U.S. National Security Agency, is able to crack pr- protective measures on iPhones, Blackberries, and Android devices, giving it access to users' data on all major smartphones. The magazine cited internal documents from the NSA and its British counterpart, the GCHQ, in which the agencies describe setting up dedicated teams for each type of phone as part of their effort to gather intelligence on potential threats such as terrorists. The data obtained this way includes, you guessed it, contacts, call lists, SMS traffic, notes, and location information. The documents don't indicate that the NSA is conducting mass surveillance of phone users, but rather uses techniques uh, such as eavesdropping on specific individuals. The article doesn't explain how the magazine obtained the documents, which are described as secret, but one of the authors, an American filmmaker, was close contacts with NSA leaker Edward Snowden, who has published several articles about the NSA in Der Spiegel in recent weeks. Now, the documents outline how, starting in May of 2009, intelligence agents were able to access or unable to access information on BlackBerry phones for about a year after Canadians, uh, the Canadian manufacturer began using a new method to compress their data. But after GCHQ cracked the problem, analysts celebrated their achievement with the word champagne, <laughs> Der Spiegel reports. The magazine printed several slides alleged to have come from the NSA's presentation, referencing the film 1984, based on George Orwell's book in the total... totalitarian surveillance state. The slides would show stills from the film. Former Apple Inc. chairman Steve Jobs holding an iPhone and iPhone buyers celebrating the purchase are captioned, who knew in 1984 this would be Big Brother and the zombies would be paying customers. Snowden's revelations have sparked a heated debate in Germany about the country's cooperation with the U.S. in intelligence matters. So a big hairy mess going on with this one right here. Uh, It is uh, not surprising, I think, that uh, There's ways for national security agencies to get in and track specific information on the phones. But I guess it was it was interesting to hear just I don't want to say how easy it was, but just how much and and how widespread this potentially is. Where's my tinfoil? I don't know. I don't know. I think it's uh, it's one of those things you just have to you have to know going into it with using one of these devices. You just you're not going to have your data secure. Boy, it uh, you know, I guess for for many years, Mickey, you know, I was always kind of uh, skeptical of the stuff and thought, you know, maybe it's not very private, not very private. And then kind of uh, broke down when you see the how much government was using uh, the BlackBerry and, and you know, the, the, the network operation center is totally secure. But of course, having one central point for all of the BlackBerry data to be transmitted through, that means that's absolutely uh, you know, at risk for something like an NSA monitoring. And, and there was always rumors and, and always, you know, scattered reports for, for years on end now that, you know, oh, the NSA is monitoring this. Uh, you know, there was a big report saying AT&T's, you know, traffic was all being diverted and monitored to AT&T, you know, from AT&T to the NSA. 
Uh, there's always been rumors that hardware manufacturers like Cisco and routers and, and lots of other hardware uh, all over the spectrum as far as computers and networking goes have back doors uh, that are you know secret and, and are for government monitoring use. And these things all seem to be true. And it's uh, it's all kind of come together here with the with the Snowden releases here. And it's it, it really does. Uh, you really do have to think about, you know, how, how this, um, you know, how this matters to you and what you do. Yeah, and I'm, I'm not someone who necessarily is using their device for a lot of things um, that I'm, I'm really concerned about. So it's it's not terribly concerning to me, but at the same time, I am thinking about this here. And actually, you know what, you know what it is? It, it's stuff like online banking. banking. That's the stuff that, you know, I realize that I have to be careful about that, but when I don't know who can access the other information on my devices, then it makes me very wary of the fact that it may not be used just for things like informational purposes for national security, but also it could fall into other hands because it's it's being gathered. Yeah, and you know, realistically, you're completely right, but this, of course, this monitoring is nothing new. This has been going on for probably 10 years, and, you know, they already have access to your bank accounts anyways, so... It, it doesn't matter, really. I mean, but you're right about other people getting your hands on, but you're much more likely to have them attack you through, uh, you know, imitating uh, Wi-Fi access points or, uh, you know, getting into your computer through malware, not so much your mobile device. So, you know, it's really, you know, your risk is no different with this kind of stuff going on behind the scenes, realistically, because you're just one person out of, you know, tens of millions that have, you know, mobile phones and stuff. But it's kind of comes back to the old adage you just have to monitor your accounts and you know make sure you've got accounts that have protection from fraud as well that's a good point too i mean there's certainly there's a lot of stuff that's going on out there and it's not just something like this that's going to cause you the issues but it's uh it's something to keep in mind so very interesting one there though if a lot lot of information kind of rolling out here over the last couple of days on that so i'm I'm, uh, following that closely we'll see what happens with that as expected this week verizon communications on monday announcing it agreed to buy the 45 percent stake in verizon wireless that it didn't currently own from Vodafone Group for $130 billion. Verizon will pay Vodafone primarily in cash and stocks. The deal subject to regulatory and shareholder approval expected to close in the first quarter of 2014. This is going to be a, a little bit of a tight squeeze on Verizon here for a while. That's a, you know, $60 billion in cash they're going to come up with to, to fund the deal as well as stock options that they're going to, you know, deliver to Vodafone. But, you know, in the short, short term, it could mean a little bit of a crunch for buying Spectrum and releasing hardware. But it, it, it's a really good time for Verizon because basically their LTE network's done. We don't really have a LTE advanced or any of the ne- next generation kind of on the verge and being released by other carriers quite yet. So it's kind of a good time for them to be uh, doing something like this because in the future then their profits will not have to be funneled to the joint venture that was, you know, Vodafone uh, where they had to, you know, deliver 45% of their profits over to them. So this was, uh, you know, in the, in the long term, this will actually be good for Verizon. Yeah, I actually haven't looked into the financials to see what the yield is for Verizon, but I would imagine that uh, Vodafone wasn't going to be doing anything that was more than like a 10% uh, cap rate, and so they would have had to figure out something, you know, something there. But I'm not sure. Like I said, I haven't looked into it far enough. But yeah, it's. I think it, when you say the short term, I think it's actually more like the next five to ten years. They're going to have to be, um, you know, they're going to have to be very careful about what they're doing here because they're going to be a little bit lower in cash than they they once were. But at the same time, they're they're so big. They've got this this revenue stream that should be just fine for them. I'm not really thinking they're all that concerned about it. But you're right for for the time being, that could mean some interesting things and in how they uh, you know how nimble they can be. 
Yeah, exactly. And, you know, the Wall Street Journal did report that it was uh, that the Vodafone partnership was holding them back from making uh, larger deals. So this, uh, you know, obviously that was getting in the way of, of Verizon's strategy here. So one of those potential uh, things that we had thought they were looking into, which apparently is now was all just rumor, and that was a Canadian uh, partnership. So Verizon CEO Lowell McAdam this week said Verizon will not expand into the Canadian wireless market following that recent purchase. He said they'll be focusing on a one Verizon strategy, more fully integrating its wireless and wireline assets in areas such as machine-to-machine and cloud computing. Uh, McAdam said the speculation that Verizon would enter the Canadian market was way overblown and said that the press made much more on our interest in Canada than there was inside the company. So there you go. If you were thinking that Verizon was going to jump into Canada, apparently that is false, at least for the time. Being finally in news, the Wall Street Journal reporting this week that BlackBerry's board is pushing for a fast process to sell all or part of the company by November. The company announced just last month that it is officially exploring strategic alternatives. No official word from BlackBerry, though, on the matter. Well, like we talked about last week, they better make this sell quick because if they don't, I mean, the uncertainty is going to kill them even more for the enterprise users than this uh, than their you know poor response for their new devices. I think they can figure it out. They've got 60 days till we hit November, and I think that's really not that not that uh, you know short of a time period. I mean, certainly it is for a sale of a company, but they should be able to figure something out. I'm sure they're not just starting from scratch, you know, opening up a brand new notebook and saying, "Okay, let's brainstorm here. Who can buy us?" You know, it's it's a, it's a little bit more in depth than that. So uh, I'm I'm imagining they can figure it out, and if the board is uh, pushing for that, um, I'm hopefully they'll be able to figure it out because otherwise they're going to have some pretty unhappy shareholders for uh, for the for the time being. That's for sure. In device news here, with the IFA conference this week, we've got a lot of news on devices, including multiple new flagship handsets from many companies. First up, Acer, the company announcing its Acer Liquid S2 smartphone, which is a unique first for a handset, the ability to record 4K video. The Liquid S2 features a Qualcomm Snapdragon 800, 2.2 GHz quad-core processor, a 6-inch full HD display with a resolution of 368 pixels per inch. It has a 3330 mAh power battery, 2 gigs of RAM, 16 gigs of onboard storage, and Android 4.2.2 Jelly Bean. Acer says the Liquid 2 uh, S2 will be released in October, but did not give exact pricing. Just days after Google cut the price of the Nexus 4 by 100 bucks, the phone is again out of stock on the Play Store. This time, though, rumor has it, like we said, that the 8-gig model will never come back. Uh, this is very interesting and further fueling speculation of this new device in the Nexus 5 coming soon. Google historically announcing Nexus devices sometime in the fourth quarter, so we're thinking uh, that's going to be probably holding true again this year, and uh, we may have something here within the next month or two. HTC on Tuesday announcing two new handsets, the Desire 601 and the Desire 3. The phones are both mid-range and will target overseas markets. They both offer some of the same features uh, that were seen on the HTC One, such as Android 4.2 Jelly Bean and Sense 5.0, as well as BlinkFeed. The HTC Zoe's and other shared features include Wi-Fi, Bluetooth 4.0, GPS, and support for micro SD cards up to 64 gigs. Now, the 601 has a 4.5-inch QHD display with 1.4 gigahertz uh, Qualcomm Snapdragon 400 dual core processor, one gig of RAM, five megapixel camera, 1080p HD video, dual front speakers with boom sound, and a 2200 milliamp hour battery. The 300 steps down to a 4.3 inch WVGA display, a one gigahertz Qualcomm Snapdragon S4 processor, 512 megs of RAM, five megapixel camera, and a removable 1650 milliamp hour battery. Both are expected to reach select markets during the fourth quarter of the year, along with the announcement of the new devices, HD 
HTC also introduced a blue variant of the HTC One smartphone. The blue model will reach various markets before the end of the year. Sony on Wednesday announcing its Xperia Z1, an Android-powered flagship from the Japanese company, with similar styling to the Z sans the sharp edges. The Z1 features a 20.7 megapixel camera that has a Bion Z uh, mobile imaging processing engine, a G lens, and a one uh, 2.3 inch camera, one by 2.3 inch camera sensor. The camera has a burst mode that shoots 61 images, 30 before you press the button one when you press the shutter button and 30 more after you press the shutter button uh the camera then features an augmented reality mode that puts subjects in themed locations such as with dinosaurs the z1 has a five inch full hd display with a tri-luminous and X-reality processing engine. It's powered by a 2.2 gigahertz quad-core Snapdragon processor, 2 gigs of RAM, and 16 gigs of internal storage. Like the Xperia Z, the Z1 is water-resistant. It can stand in 3 feet of water for up to 30 minutes. It runs Android 4.2 Jelly Bean and will be available worldwide later this month. Just what I wanted! 135 pictures of my dog with a dinosaur. <laughs> yeah, it's... I don't know. I, I I can't even say that with a straight face. It just Joey. It reminds me of the the cheesy webcam software that comes out where you could put yourself in all sorts of situations. You mean what I do to you every once in a while to throw you off? Yeah. In the middle of the show, is all of a sudden Joey will be with bubbles or various things floating around on his screen. That's right. So it's uh, I, I you know in theory that sounds really really cool, especially if you're shooting something kind of important. But then you'd be using a DSL DSLR camera, uh, and I, I I just I have nightmares thinking about trying to sort through all of those pictures trying to find the best ones yeah well maybe it's a good idea for those that are just carrying this around as their only phone uh or and or camera which i guess makes a lot of sense if you're using a 20 megapixel camera uh nearly 21 megapixels actually and uh so this would be interesting to uh, see how how it gets used and uh and just how good that is sony makes uh, great products and so I'm, I'm excited to see uh how well this one does also on wednesday they announced two lens accessories for smartphones with the idea of improving the onboard camera the sony qx100 and the qx10 are detachable lenses that also serve as standalone cameras both lenses connect to smartphones uh, either Android or iOS via Wi-Fi and along with a companion app can be used instead of the smartphone's built-in camera. The companion app uses the phone's screen as the viewfinder and offers some simple controls such as overshooting mode, zoom, point of focus, and others. The lenses can be mounted on smartphones with the use of clips as well as used on their own. Both use Sony's X uh, Xmore sensors and can be paired easily with devices uh, through NFC. The QX100 has a 20.1 megapixel camera. It has a 3.6 times optical zoom. And the QX10 offers an 18.2 megapixel camera with 10x optical zoom. The QX100 and QX10 lens style cameras will be available later this month for $499 and $249 respectively, either available in black or white. Then some of the biggest device news of the week. Samsung on Wednesday announcing the Galaxy Note 3, its third-generation phone-slash-tablet with an S Pen stylus. The Note 3 increases the screen from last year's 5.5 inches to 5.7 inches. It also improves the resolution to 1920 by 1080 full HD. Despite the larger screen, the Note 3 is 1mm narrower and 1mm thinner than the Note 2. It also weighs significantly less thanks to the use of a polycarbonate frame. Uh, Samsung also refreshed 
refreshed the back, providing a faux leather texture on the back cover rather than the glossy plastics on the previous notes. The Note 3 will come in two variants, an LTE version with a 2.3 gigahertz quad-core Snapdragon 800 processor and an HSPA Plus version with a 1.9 gigahertz eight-core Samsung Exynos 5 Octa processor, both including three gigs of RAM. Other features include a camera that has been proved to 13 megapixels, a user-facing camera of two megapixels. Both can record 1080p HD and carry over all the camera features Samsung first debuted in the Galaxy S4 earlier this year. Other specs include a removable 3200 milliamp hour battery, 32 or 64 gigs of storage with support for micro SD cards up to 64 gigs, Wi-Fi, Bluetooth 4.0, low energy, GPS and GLONASS radios, as well as infrared for controlling TVs, MHL for connecting to TVs, and USB 3.0. The Note runs Android 4.3 as well as Samsung's TouchWiz user interface. Most of the software is carried over from the S4, but Samsung made a number of improvements to the S Pen stylus for its accompanying software. A new Air Command tool brings in S Pen functions front and center that lets users take instant screenshots, create an actionable memos, search through handwritten notes, create searchable scrapbooks, and also write simple notes. This is, uh, you know, really amazing how much traction this uh, the note has gained. I mean, at first it was kind of a joke. Uh, I mean, a lot of the tech blogs were like, this thing is beyond silly and it, we, it'll sell zero. But it has been exceptionally popular and it's uh, really good to see some diversion technology here. Everything that's just not copying Apple and the iPhone. Uh, and it's actually being successful on its own merit. I mean, unlike back, uh, you know, a bunch of a uh, bunch of years ago, where the Samsung and Apple products, it was like Samsung was literally ripping off Apple, you know, bit by bit, you know, pixel for pixel on their devices. But now they've 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 you know taken that and and changed it and created a successful product that a lot of people want to have. And I'm one of them right now. I, I love this device. I love the way that it looks. Uh, I've been watching the videos of it, and I'm, I'm just really excited uh, for what they've done with this one here. It finally feels like it's matured enough where I could I could actually use it. And uh, I love the back on it. it, it it's the, 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 the slippery, plasticky backs really, I never thought, felt really good. Uh, I know it's going to be really light, which I'm totally fine with if they've got a back on it that looks really nice. And uh, so, you know, the one thing is, is that it's uh, the pricing on it's going to be really expensive. Uh, Verizon has already offered $700 is what the the non-contract price is on that. So it's not cheap. And what I like is that there's actually removable batteries. You've got the the backs that you can snap on where you've got the little leather folio case that's part of the thing so it won't fall off and you won't lose it. Uh, you also have the uh, the S Pen, of course, which is a good feature. And then also multitasking where you can have two apps open at once and you can actually transmit information between the two, you know, with, uh, you know, but it's a, it's a limited function, but it's uh, but but it has that ability. Yeah, and I'm I'm thinking that all of this is going to really be uh, kind of the right recipe for, for Samsung with this device this year. And I know they've been selling them. I know that's not the case. It's not like they're you know been duds. But I think this is really going to be one that I think a lot of people are going to take seriously if you start looking at what you can get on on all these devices nowadays. And it's really it's the same phone but it's just a bigger screen. And they've totally taken this to a different level and said, okay, are you looking for something that is going to be the primary thing that you're carrying around most of the time? Sure, you have a tablet, but does that really come with you everywhere and if the answer is no this is probably a better option for you and it totally speaks to me i love my ipad i love the screen size 
uh, and I, I, I like having it, but I also don't bring it with me everywhere I go, which is what I do with my phone. And so I'm looking for something that maybe can do a little bit more. And so that's where this, like I said, it, it just, it's totally resonating with me right now. I'm, I'm really excited to see it. So uh, a couple other just real quick things here. It does include improved multitasking support with the pen apps, also resembling LG's QSlide apps and other place on the screen, such as the calculator, web browser, or uh, YouTube window may be put on top of any other application. Uh, Maybe a little novel there, but we'll see. The Galaxy Note 3 will be sold in the U.S. by AT&T, Sprint, T-Mobile, U.S. Sailor, and Verizon. Samsung has said the Note will launch on September 25th in 149 countries, also uh, worldwide to everywhere else in October, although I'm not sure where else is out of 149 countries at launch point. AT&T and T-Mobile announcing the device will be shipping around the 1st of October. AT&T will charge $300 for the Note 3 with a two-year contract. T-Mobile will start selling a Note 3 on October 2nd, $200 plus $21 a month for 24 months. Verizon has begun taking pre-orders already ready. That device, either available in black or white, standalone price, $300 on contract, $700 without a contract, or if you get on the Verizon Edge, it's $30 or $29.16 per month. Verizon says the devices will ship by October 10th. So big news here on the Note 3. It's a device that uh, I think a lot of people are going to want. Uh, third time's a charm, right? Exactly. Now, if you uh, if you're not completely sold on it, let's talk a little bit about the other accessory that was announced with this, and that is the Galaxy Gear, a smartwatch that functions as an accessory to the Note. The Gear has a 1.63-inch touchscreen, 800-megahertz processor, 512 megs of RAM, 315 milliamp-hour battery, uses Bluetooth 4.0 low energy to communicate with the phone. It has a 1.9-megapixel camera and a speakerphone, both of which are embedded into the wristband. The camera can record 720p HD video, and images and video are synced with the Note 3, of course, for safekeeping. The Gear runs Android, but you uses a unique user interface from Samsung that permits users to swipe the screen uh, from screen to screen and from app to app. The gear runs several native apps such as a pedometer and a clock and when paired with a smartphone can be used to place phone calls, view notifications and interact with Samsung's S voice application. The gear runs third party applications as well and will ship with several pre-installed apps from eBay, Evernote, RunKeeper, TripIt and others. The Galaxy Gear will go on sale September 25th available in the US for $300 and it will only work with the Note 3 at launch other device compatibility coming within a few months of the release so finally we've got a a smartwatch out by a major manufacturer not just the pebble and it's uh nobody can claim that samsung copied apple because they beat them to the punch here with uh, releasing a smartwatch i mean we've seen speculation for years now that apple's going to release one they may never but we've heard speculation uh uh, samsung probably you know worked like heck to try to get this out as fast as they could it's uh for me personally, it's way too big still uh, for my tiny little wrists. I, I just couldn't do one of these things. And it just, uh, that doesn't provide me any functionality that I, I want on my wrist, really. I mean, uh, talking like Dick Tracy, your wrist just seems kind of weird. Like a uh, undercover uh, investigator on a TV show is what you'd look like talking to your hand, I think. Yeah, and I'm, I'm thinking that uh, it's actually a little bit more than that, too. It's, it's almost like it, it's adding in things that I didn't think that I needed, like having a camera on my wrist like i if i'm going to take a picture i'm going to want to take the best picture possible and a 1.9 megahertz or megahertz 1.9 megapixel camera is not nearly what you're going to get if you just pull the phone out and take a picture with the phone especially since they've they've set it up in a way that you can take pictures so quickly with android now i'd rather have a 13 megapixel camera but um you know and yeah and to your point the speakerphone thing on there i don't know talking to your wrist maybe it's a little convenient um, but I, I don't know. I, I'm still I, I'm still not 
not sold on this concept here. I mean, I like the notifications, and that's about where it stops for me. You know, that's exactly what I would want it for is to be able to actually look at the, you know, see the time on my wrist, which, uh, you know, I, I stopped wearing a watch years ago. But, uh, you know, it's nice to have time readily available whenever you see it. But it would be really, really cool to be able to just look to see who just left you a text message, see, you know, who the email just came from in that little preview, you know, like you get on iOS where you see the first sentence or something. And, uh, you know, so you can decide whether or not you should pull the phone out of your pocket. Yeah. And, you know, here's the other part of it. I think it, th- this is just the kind of the first round of these and, and they're going to change. They're going to we're going to see iterations of these and whatnot. And and I, I'm not I'm not expecting that we're going to we're going to have a lot of winners right out of the gate here. We're going to talk about another one in just a few minutes. But, um, you know, it's it was Samsung's first attempt. Uh, they had to do it. Um, they had to get out something. It's actually not bad looking. Uh, it's it's that was one of the things I thought it was going to look kind of nerdy. I mean, it's still it's a screen on your wrist. It's not amazing, but it's, you know, compared to all the bigger kind of chunky watches that are out there right now it's really not all that uh, all that bad so i would say you know for the most part they uh they they, they came out with something um better than a proof of concept not necessarily going to be the thing that everyone's going to run out and buy and at three hundred dollars it's a little bit expensive um and if you're buying this and an unsubsidized note three you're going to be spending a grand and that's going to be a little hard to stomach four digits uh for smartphone technology is, is just a little much so um, anyway, so that's that. That's the Galaxy Gear. Finally, from Samsung, they announced the new Galaxy Note 10.1. This is the 2014 edition, an update to the previous Note 10.1. It's got design changes that fits in with Samsung's uh, new devices that they've got out there. More pleasing hardware, I think, is the best way to put that. A display on the Note 10.1 is WQXGA Super LCD, which means 2560 by 1600 resolution. As with the Note 3, it's got uh, a pair of different CPUs to offer with 3G and Y. Wi-Fi only versions carrying the Exynos OctaCore and the LTE version with that Samsung uh, or excuse me, uh, Qualcomm Snapdragon 800. Both carry the same three gigs of RAM as the phone, as well as the S Pen and other new pen features installed, uh, similar to what the Note 3 had. The Note 10.1 will come with 16, 32, or 64 gigs of onboard storage, expandable via micro SD. It will be available globally sometime in Q3, neither white or black. Now, if uh, Samsung's watch announcement wasn't what you were hoping for, Qualcomm may have that wearable tech for you. Uh, shortly after the gear announcement, Qualcomm announced a smartwatch they're calling the Qualcomm Talk. Now, the Talk features a low-power mirror-sole display with no backlighting required. This means the Talk uses very low power, uh, so little, in fact, that there's no power switch on the device at all. It's always on and will last days between charges. The Talk also uses uh, allows users to manage calls, texts, and meeting reminders with various notifications, uh, of course, on the wrist. Unlike the Gear, which is only compatible with the Note 3 to start, the Talk will work with any smartphone running Android 4.0.3 or higher. It will retail for about $300.00. Pre-orders are now available, and the talk should enter the market in early October. Now, from what I understand with this, this is kind of like uh, the Hail Mary for the Mirasol display. I mean, I guess there's there's really very little use for uh, for this. I mean, it's a really great feat of technology, and it's really kind of fun, but it's just it's not something that we're using on a regular basis. But again, th- this one is a little bit more geeky looking, at least in my opinion. Um, you know, I and I think that the talk is uh, it, it's it's interesting in that it's it's more universal. But again, I'm not sure that you know we're going to see just masses running out to buy this i think that um you know we we need a little bit more maturation in the 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 market here like you said earlier and it's uh, you know, these displays, I think, are absolutely fascinating. I don't understand why they're not more common e-readers, but it's, 
uh, you know, it's just something that the consumers, uh, I guess, you know, speak with their pocketbooks. And this is just not the technology that's uh, taken off here. And it's it, it, it you know, we really do have to see some changes here, I think, before these to uh, before these will reach critical mass. But, you know, I think they they will eventually because the the convenience that the that they that they hold as far as in the future, like we just talked about, it will happen because uh, you know, as we've got these bigger and bigger phones, we're going to want something that's easier to deal with in the real short term. And oh, the watch is the perfect format for that. And I, I'm excited about about doing something like this and getting something like this at some point. But I'm not willing to sacrifice, um, you know, for for what what I'm at least at what I see here with the talk. It's it just it's it's not there. It's just it's it's kind of it's got this rubber band around it and it's kind of this metal frame on the back and it's just it's it's big I, i'm seeing pictures of it on people's wrists and i'm going you know this is not it we're not there yet guys and it's just it like i said it's it's almost too too geeky looking still and i guess it's like the calculator watches right i mean when you saw those i mean you just immediately knew it was someone who was you know a nerd is the wrong word but they were they were someone who was really intent on needing to know uh computations uh at the, the turn of their wrist I totally had a calculator watch, and it was horribly geeky, but, you know, it was very handy. So, you know, once we get to, into these things, you know, and of course, uh, everybody's waiting for the Apple version to completely revolutionize this market. So maybe uh, Apple will give the, all these other competitors out here a couple of years to uh, figure out what doesn't work and then change it all and then make it better, right? Yeah, perhaps, or they'll, they'll see what they, you know, what's come out here and they'll go, hey, look, even at, at our first, you know, attempt at this, it's better than anything else that's out there and then release it and be all excited about it so i don't know we'll see what happens with this here uh 300 again for the talk uh or the galaxy gear either way it's a lot of money for a watch you've got to be pretty sure that that's going to be the one um that you're going to want to use uh next up alcatel on thursday announcing the one touch hero the company's latest flagship smartphone featuring android 4.2 jelly bean a full six inch full hd display with a 13 megapixel camera it's powered by a 1.5 gigahertz quad core processor two gigs of ram a 3400 milliamp hour battery including a two megapixel user facing camera wi-fi gps bluetooth 4.0 low energy and either 8 or 16 gigs of storage in addition to the device alcatel revealed several accessories for the one touch hero including an e-ink cover and an led cover um, the e-ink cover adds a second display that can be used instead of the phone itself for reading and saving battery life the magic flip led cover has lights embedded in the surface to act as notifications for incoming messages calls as well as status updates the Alcatel One Touch Hero is sold with a stylus and supports wireless charging. No word if it will be available here in the U.S. Lenovo on Thursday announcing a new addition to its Android-powered smartphones, the Vibe X. The Vibe X features a 5-inch 1080p 2020 vision display at 441 pixels per inch it's covered with gorilla glass 3 has full hd screen quality and appears to be one of the best around other speaks include a quad core 2.5 gigahertz MediaTek cpu and two gigs of ram on the camera side five megapixel wide angle lens on the front side and a 13 megapixel rear facing camera with a bsi sensor for high quality pictures in any lighting conditions on the back currently launch markets and pricing have not been finalized T-Mobile on Thursday announcing the LG G2 smartphone available online starting September 18th and in most stores September 25th. It will require a $99 down payment followed by monthly payments of for 24 months of $21 each. It will be available in either black or white. The white will be only available online. 
Sprint on Thursday announcing the Motorola Moto X will be available online and in stores beginning uh, this week, this past Friday, September 6th. Uh, Sprint is charging $199 for the 16 gig Moto X, but will offer an additional $100 credit towards the purchase of the Moto X for those who port their number from another carrier. The promotion runs for a limited time. Sprint is selling both the black and white variants, and customers will have the opportunity to customize their Moto X with Moto Maker in the months to come. Finally, in devices, the flagship Windows Phone is now priced to compete with its rivals on other OSs. Microsoft announced on Friday that both it and AT&T have knocked $100 off the Lumia 1020 price for customers who buy the device through their stores. Microsoft says that it will throw in a free Nokia camera grip for the device for a limited time for all customers who buy the phone at the Microsoft store. The Lumia 1020 features an industry best 41 megapixel peer view camera, a 4.5 inch AMOLED display, a 1.5 gigahertz dual core Snapdragon processor, 32 gigs of internal storage, 2 gigs of RAM, and of course, Windows Phone 8. And in software, Google this week updating the Google Drive application for iOS devices with an updated user interface. It now uses the card-style UI that Google has rolled out to a number of its mobile apps. The cards present files in a more eye-pleasing grid of thumbnails rather than a list. The app also gains the ability to edit in landscape mode on the iPhone, copy file URLs, and more easily share files with others. PayPal this week issuing an update to both its Android and iOS mobile apps. The update brings the ability to find local shops that accept PayPal payments and order ahead of time and make payments to the merchant immediately when they arrive at the store. No waiting in line required. The app is free in the respective Apple and Google stores. And lastly today, questions and comments. And we've got a couple of voicemails. So let's kick it off with Ben. Hey, guys, this is Ben Forrest, the independent Mac consultant out of Red Bank, New Jersey. Anyway, I thought I would update you on our progress with switching from AT&T last month to T-Mobile. We left, uh, we were originally T-Mobile customers, and we left when the iPhone was released in 2007. So it's been quite a long time that we've been on AT&T. And I don't really have anything bad to say about the service. It's been fine. Um, not terribly good in our house. Customer service was adequate to good. And uh, the only complaint I have is it was just expensive. We were up to a bill of 263 a month, but that actually wasn't even the highest. It was higher than I got on the phone with them, and they... Jerry you know, did some changes to the plan and dropped a little bit. And um, I do run, I think, a $10 a month insurance plan on my 4S. But anyway, that 263 was for a iPhone 3G, an iPhone 3GS, an iPhone 4, and this uh, 4S that I'm recording this on. So I guess one, I'm just going to talk about the coverage. We've actually... Um, in Red Bank, I've been pleasantly surprised. It's uh, I generally always get a 4G service, so they've equipped their towers with this newer thing that gets the uh, the AT&T phones that get true 4G service, and it is simultaneous data and voice, which is handy for me as as a as a consultant. Um, I need to often look up stuff while I'm talking to clients, so that's good. Um, however, there's some bad to report too. Generally, when we leave Red Bank, and, or rather leave densely populated areas, as soon as we're on the highway, there's going to be downgrades to um, to the 2G network, or what they call edge. And that is a problem for Amy and I. Uh, she, we, uh, she uses Google Maps, which, of course, doesn't work. We've installed TomTom, which, of course, downloads all, puts all its maps on the phone to make up for this. And I've been in the habit of using Siri. Siri seems to have been, become a very useful tool for me when I'm driving. But I'm just not doing it now. Um, 
it's fine when it's on 4G, but doesn't really work well on Edge. Um, we don't lose connection, though. Generally speaking, I can always make a phone or receive a phone call and can always text. Um, and we recently vacationed up in Wolfsboro, New Hampshire, and that was pretty much the same way all the way there. We would get 4G service here and there in the, in the more densely populated areas, and then it would go to Edge. Up in New Hampshire, where you know T-Mobile doesn't claim to have great service, but we... I think it was actually a little better than I thought it would be. Uh, oddly enough, in Wilsboro, it was a complete zero, but in our campsites nearby in Mirror Lake, we got several bars from a local company that apparently contracts with T-Mobile and occasionally even some T-Mobile service and sort of switched between just voice and text to voice, text, and slow data. Let's see. Um, one bright spot for us is that in Red Bank, actually here in our home, uh, T-Mobile seems to be giving us a slightly stronger signal. So um, that's actually kind of nice, actually. So uh, cost-wise, now I'm at 135 a month from 263, and also when you factor in the fact that the phones, even if I buy it on payment plan, is uh, well, my iPhone, my 4S is close to. I think it costs about 1,200 dollars when you really add everything up: the monthly payment to your contract, the higher rate, you know, the higher cost contract. So, um, you know, with T-Mobile, I'm going to be saving again because I'm just going to actually pay the actual cost of the phone. So that's going to be another three to $400 savings at least. Uh, so I can't really imagine we're going to give up T-Mobile because the service has been adequate. Um, if I really needed, you know, great service, I would just switch to Verizon, but we are fine with the service, uh, you know, in the adequate range. And T-Mobile says that they, um, We'll, we'll get much better service when we get actually uh, iPhones that are T-Mobile engineered. And I think we're going to buy one or two of the new iPhone 5s when they come out uh, later this month. So that's my report from Red Bank. Thank you, guys. Thanks, Ben, for the voicemail. Good stuff mentioned there about service uh, in and around New Jersey and, uh, you know, the lack of service on T-Mobile in certain areas. You know, that, that's kind of the idea, um, you know, that we keep talking about here with T-Mobile. And, you know, when you look to make a change over to another carrier, you have to keep in mind, you, you're, you know, a lot of times you're getting what you're paying for. I know a lot of people love T-Mobile, um, but it may not be right for you depending on where you travel. Uh, and so keep in mind that that half price of what AT&T or Verizon may charge may be for a reason, i.e. it may not have service where you need it. Exactly. And that's exactly what I see here in the Twin Cities with T-Mobile works great, you know, in amongst the metro area here and a little bit outskirts and depending on kind of where you go, some of the outer cities work fine, but you can get into the sticks and there's nothing. Yeah. And I'm not saying that it's not going to work, you know, where you are. I mean, you may have great coverage depending on where you are. You may have really bad coverage. So anyway, but either way, good, uh, good to hear from you, Ben on that one. Uh, and along with his voicemail, he also shared a few other details over email. Ben writes, um, I would advise others doing the transition um, and going from a non-corporate T-Mobile store, at least trying them first. The authorized dealer is uh, is uh, is more can do. AT&T was hassling me to unlock three of the phones that I owned and AT&T's unlock site didn't work for two of them and locked me out after five unlock requests. The independent T-Mobile dealer uh, made navigating the unlock issue easy and provided real unlocking codes for free. Had I done it personally, I would have had to pay for the codes via one of the websites, about 10 bucks a phone. Also, I did uh, drop in twice to our local mall official T-Mobile store and they showed little interest in being of any help and focusing on trying to get me to buy new Android phones. I went there first, by the way, and they went out of their way to badmouth Apple, actually. They were pushing me over to Samsung 
Samsung's table and the amazing HTC One. I was surprised and disappointed in my T-Mobile store experience. Well, it's not too far off from what we heard about Verizon last week. They're playing shenanigans. Basically, they're promoting whatever they get the most, uh, you know, kickback on or, or sales commission on. So they'll tell you Apple's horrible, this, that. They'll tell you whatever they need to tell you to get, you know, to get anybody to buy whatever they need to sell the most of to make the most money, which is completely, you know, backwards. Uh, you want to have the customer tell you what they want and then uh, you help them make their decision, maybe choosing capacity and stuff. But, you know, you should never be doing stuff like this. And this is frustrating. And, uh, you know, this is where you get into the situation where you start comparing things like the Apple store. You know, those employees have been trained very, very, you know, very concisely. And you go to any Apple store and they'll all tell you the exact same thing about products. Whereas you go to these places and they'll tell you all kinds of different stuff because different reps are doing different things. And even though it's a corporate owned stone store and it's very frustrating. And, and of course, I'm it, it varies who's managing, varies who's this, varies who's working. And same thing with the independent uh, dealers as well. You'll have this kind of the same situation. It'll be all over the map and it just depends which location you go to. And that's, you know, that's going to, I think, always be really frustrating for the consumer because you're never going to know what's being, you know, what's right and what's not. And, and I, I don't even know where to even start with that other than to say, do your research beforehand. And that's, that's all, that's all you can do. And I think you have, as a buyer, you have to realize that what somebody tells you may not be in fact the, the absolute truth, but it may be the truth according to the information that they're providing, but not the full story about something. So just keep all that in mind and always be skeptical and ask a lot of questions so that you can make a decision for yourself. What is the right thing to do? And unfortunately, most of the people that you run into at these stores are salespeople. I mean, the technicians are usually kind of in the back hiding and out of sight, out of mind because they kind of want to keep you away from them because they cost money that, uh, you know, that could be taking away from sales of new devices. So it's, uh, you know, it is frustrating because the, the, the way they run these things is not really consumer friendly, really. Yeah. And that's not fun. And I, I'm not a, I'm not a big fan of going to uh, to mobile stores in general, but I know they're they're a necessary uh, component to the distribution of phones in most markets. And, uh, you know, so I guess fortunately we have, and we've got a lot of good people. We've got a lot of people that work at those stores that listen to the show. We hear from you all the time. And I know that, uh, you know, it's a bad representation. It's like saying that, you know, someone would say to me, you know, okay, you're, uh, you do this and, uh, you know, I've had a bad experience with this. So that ultimately that means you're bad too, Mickey. And I know that's not the case. Um, the, the point is though, is that you just, you have to understand, you know, who you're talking to and when you're talking to that person, you know, their ultimate goal is that their job, their livelihood is based on selling a device and so, or selling a product. And so their, their whole goal is to sell you something. And so whatever it means, um, that's, that's what it is. It, it's, it's not like they're just doing it for fun. And, and so that, that's the hard part. No, absolutely. Yeah. You're, you're completely right. It's not and, and realistically, it's not really the salesperson's fault that the, the company shouldn't really be promoting devices like that, you know, uh, which, which will lead the salesperson to naturally sell a device that may not be right for the customer because they've provided a promotion uh, kickback on this one particular device. And in that the company itself is doing it wrong. They're implementing the whole, the whole thing wrong instead of, uh, you, you know, being really the end and, and salesperson's uh, fault for giving you bad treatment. But of course that's also possible because maybe they failed on their training. Yeah. And that's, that's a good point too. So uh, either way, Ben, we've, we've kind of diverged here on, on this topic, but either way, uh, thanks for the information. And, uh, you know, obviously saving, you know, essentially almost half of what you were paying before is amazing. So uh, good luck and uh, congrats on your move over to T-Mobile. Next up, a voicemail from Paul. Hey, Mickey and Joey. This is Paul from Tennessee. I'm responding to the guy who just moved from Windows Phone to Android recently and was looking for a Bluetooth app 
um, that he could respond to texts without touching the phone, that kind of thing. I have an app that I've been using for quite a while now. It's made by, I think the developer's name is Sonalight, S-O-N-A-L-I-G-H-T. The app is called Text by Voice, which is obviously pretty descriptive. You can find it in the Play Store. It works, I would say, very well, not perfectly, but it does a pretty good job. And as far as wanting that feature in your phone and getting it on Android, it's probably one of the best available. Uh, basically, you can set it to either auto-run when you reach a certain speed, like if you're driving, or you can have it auto-run if you uh, turn your Bluetooth headset on and when it when it pairs, it'll automatically launch. And then um, vice versa, when you turn your Bluetooth off or slow down below that speed, it'll automatically stop running the app. So it's, it's pretty smart. Uh, it's real easy. It runs in the background, puts a little icon in your notification bar. But it does everything he's wanting. Uh, it will announce incoming text and ask you what you want to do. Say, repeat, repeat, respond, or ignore, I think, are the choices. You can also call by voice. You can say, text by voice to launch it, and it'll be listening, and it'll, of course, come up and say, who do you want to text? You can say, text, and say the name, or you can say, call, and say the name, and it will confirm who you're trying to call or text and go on with it. But anyway, that's probably a, a good app to look at for Android. Again, it's in the Play Store. It's called text by voice. Good luck. Paul, thank you very much for the recommendation there. I uh, wanted to play that one. Uh, I think it was a couple of weeks back on the show when we had uh, asked them how to do that on, on uh, Android devices. So uh, sounds real good. Thanks uh, again for passing that on. Next up, a comment from Brent. He says, Mickey and Joe, a longtime listener and fan. I'm a dual iOS slash Android user, widening both to an iPhone 5 and Galaxy Note 2 on Verizon. Uh, as a general rule, my iPhone is my primary device, stale and boring maybe, but whatever. It's easier, simpler, and faster to use. Although I love Android, I have two major gripes with it. Number one, the camera, specifically the video camera. It frustrates me to no end that when I want to email someone a video from my Note 2 at the highest quality and resolution, I'm limited to sending a video of only about eight seconds in duration. In other words, useless. Yes, there are some apps in Google Play that allow you to uh, trim and edit and send videos, but the final quality of the video is so poor, I may as well have just filmed it at the lowest resolution in the first place. And no, uploading the video to Dropbox or YouTube and sending a link is not a solution. It real it makes me realize just how much time uh, it takes a simple function, uh, how much I take a simple function for granted on iOS, where you can send the video in smaller segments, um, segments a max of about 50 seconds each without sacrificing video quality. Uh, both uh, at work and on the job, I often use my phone to take pics and videos of different things. It's just so much easier than typing out the information. Uh, I like to email back to myself or other people as well. I should also clarify that this inability to send a video longer than eight seconds seems to be limited to Samsung phones. For whatever reason, my friend was able to send me a 45 second video from her Evo 3D. The only problem is that Samsung is the biggest Android manufacturer by far. You'd think they'd be able to fix it. Number two, Android's email app is horrible. I'd say that well over 90% of the time, the standard Android email app fails to load or sync properly. I don't know how else to describe the situation other than to say it never works. Contrast that to the stock iOS mail app, which is reliable, dependable, and consistent. With Android, you're better off getting uh, separate uh, Yahoo, Gmail, Hotmail apps and use whatever client uh, there. Uh, and even then, it's not as nice as having a universal app where you can manage your email all in one spot. You think that they were as the world's most popular OS and that your four dot something iteration Jelly Bean, you'd be able to have a problem that would be fixed by now. Uh, you'd also think that Google would have given Android users a stock universal email app that actually works. It's ridiculous. Anyway, thanks for hearing my rants, which are obviously weren't questions, but more statements. I do love Android. I just wish Google, Samsung, etc. would fix these two glaring weaknesses. Thanks, Brent. 
So I've been using the the Android stock uh, email app for Exchange service because that's what you have to do because I've got uh, the CyanogenMod here on my touchpad. And I, I use the Nexus and I use the same thing. But since now both my email accounts are uh, Exchange-based, I use this. And, you know, it's not absolutely great. It sometimes fails to sync. But for me, it hasn't been too troublesome. And it looks like version 4.1 is what it's running here of the email client. So I don't know if that uh, means anything. And I don't think you can actually update it because this one is part of the Android core. But I, you know, maybe there's some settings to look into to change like different ports or different security levels. Maybe it would make it work better for you because I haven't had drastic, really drastic any problems with it. So I don't know, maybe look into that a little bit depending on what service it is. Are you now okay? So you, you keep talking more and more about the uh, the Cyan Engine mod uh, that you're you're running there on the touchpad. Uh, it sounds like you're using that tablet more uh, these days than you ever have. I've been using it actually a lot more than I ever have. I have it sitting here on my desk, uh, basically powered up all the time, and I've been using it a lot for uh, streaming Sirius and uh, Netflix a lot. It's kind of a, a background device, and I you know since it's here and on and running, and it's in one spot that's kind of fixed all the time. I you know run over to it to check email something uh, quick or or calendar or whatever because it's there and it's in one spot because the iPad's floating around all over the place, and sometimes my phone is laying other places as well. So I since I know it's there, I I run over to it. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm. I'm really interested in, in you know the tablet side of things and i think uh you know at some point android is really going to you know certainly everyone has got phones and they're going to keep getting phones but i i, I perceive um and maybe wrongly but uh, i perceive that they're going to see some pretty significant growth and it's going to come on that side as as um you know especially on the the high-end side i mean certainly the mid-range and the developing markets are going to continue to pick up smartphones more and uh, with that it's going to make more sense for people uh when when you've got an operating system that can be scaled and pretty much used on any hardware out there and it's going to make sense for that but uh you know i i'm, I'm looking forward to the times when we've got smartphones uh, you know, or not ta- tablets that are kind of, pro- you know, as prolific as smartphones and people are using them. And uh, then the, the tablet apps are, are then raised up a little bit more as well. Well, if you think about it, uh, you, you know, the, the tablet is behind. I mean, it, it's they basically uh, created the tablet uh, specific version of Honeycomb. And so it's years behind the development of the phone itself, really, and, and kind of the awareness and in, 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 in that it's behind. Just same with the same with the iPad. I mean, the iPhone was out years before the iPad. So it's it's one of these things where it'll kind of catch up. It's lagging behind, you know, by a couple of years. So uh, it will, you know, become kind of that critical mass thing where it'll really, really hit hard where uh, the apps will be really you know, optimized for it. And people will really start gaining that awareness. Yeah. And I'm looking forward to, a, I guess, a time. When, when we can, you know, I think Apple's done such a good job of it. They were kind of spoiled by this. A, a time when the, the tablet apps for Android really match up to where they should be, uh, you know, whether it's on iOS or even just the applications that are available for smartphones uh, for Android side. So uh, it's coming. I know it's coming. But anyway, very interesting there. Uh, but uh, good news, I guess, from uh, from this perspective here that, uh, you know, we do have um, we do have some more consistent experiences here, uh, albeit Brent's comments aside for a couple of things that he's having trouble with. But uh, I'd love to hear that someone who's using both OSs side by side is, is relatively happy with both. Finally, today, a question from Samir. He says, guys, love the show and appreciate all the work you do every week. Quick question. I have a Bell Canada unlocked Galaxy S4. Recently, I was traveling to the U.S. and using my company provided AT&T SIM card in Scottsdale, Arizona. However, when I was there, my phone was not connecting to the AT&T network and connecting 
uh, with the Maritime Network. I asked uh, AT&T customer support, and they said they couldn't help me out because they didn't support unlocked phones. I've tried uh, physically connecting it to the AT&T network under settings, but it gave me an error uh, as it does not connect at all. So my question is, is there something under the settings where I need to be taking a look at to make a change here uh, and uh, you know to go under somewhere like settings, more network settings, uh, mobile networks, and et cetera? It does show up the AT&T network, but I just cannot get it to connect. So, um, you know, so the first thing I want to say is, you know, the, the MTM satellite network, I, I'm, I'm confused here because uh, the maritime network, as far as what I was I'm thinking the maritime network is, is, is that uh, network that was used as a satellite network uh, that was covering different areas around uh, oceans. And so I'm not really sure what he's referring to there with the maritime network, especially in Phoenix, having lived there for so long. Um, I have no idea what that is. Anyway, um, but uh, what I will say is, if it was on the data side, uh, you know, th- this is a pretty easy thing. It's a, uh, you have to set the APN on the handset before you're going to be able to get data to work. An access point name is what APN stands for. It's basically the gateway between the, the, the network uh, and um, the phone itself. And it's something that you'll have to do. It's very easy to do. Uh, and you just go in on the Android phone and uh, make the changes there, and um, it's it's really no big deal. And so once you once you get that all set up, um, you're, you're all set to go. And I sent Samir a link, so he's all set there. Um, but th- but the concern here is that you're not able to connect to AT and T at all. And so uh, I, I really. I was thinking this through, and I'm thinking, so if you've got an AT&T SIM, that SIM should be prioritized for AT&T's network, and so there should not be an issue here. So I'm I'm thinking that you may have a non-AT&T branded SIM if, if this is what, in fact, is, ha- is happening, where it's pulling up another network, uh, especially on an unlocked device. I've done this. I cannot tell you how many times. Every time I buy an unlocked phone, I either pop in an AT&T SIM or, or, a- or T-Mobile, and it, it always pulls them up right away. No problems. There's There's never an issue. And in the old days, I'd say, okay, you've got the wrong bands in your device. You know, you've got the wrong networks, but, uh, you know, that this device, I did look at the specs and it should support the correct, you know, 815, 1900, uh, and 2100 for, uh, for AT&T. Oh yeah. Yeah. There, there should be no issues there. I'm, I'm really, I'm, I'm kind of at a loss here because I think we're missing some information and Samir and I have been going back and forth. So, uh, Samir, if you're listening here, please, uh, write back to me and let me know, uh, if you did, uh, we're able to get this back, uh, up and running here, uh, or at least figure out what the heck was going on with that. So uh, either way, if you have any questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. Give us a call. 206-203-3734 is the phone number, which you can uh, call and leave your voicemails. Or you can send us email to questions at junkie.com. We'd love to hear from you uh, with anything that you have for us to chat about. Joey, thank you very much, as always, for your time. We'll talk to you later. Thanks for listening. For more information about the stories you've just heard, visit us at thecellphonejunkie.com.